Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Recording? Uh, we just went up. We went on. Cole, how long do you have? How long can we, can we, can we bug you for? I've lots of time. Cool. All right, man. So, uh, <laughs> so thanks for coming on. I've got, you know, I don't know where the snake diet came from, where you got that, but I got a picture of a snake swallowing a damn crocodile or something like that. <laughs> it just kind of, it kind of started with that kind of a joke because when I first started fasting, I was just eating this, you know, I started with eating a meal a day and then it just went farther and farther where I started doing long fast, but that's exactly what the joke was because you're eating one big meal and then you're fasting, right? Kind of like a snake. So. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because you got like some animals, like freaking crocodiles, that can eat like once a year. I mean, it's it's just oh, amazing. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing what people can do. And then you know, historically, we've seen people that would eat like some of these Mongolians would freaking eat a whole sheep in like a day or two, and then they wouldn't eat for you know a week or more. And so that's funny you bring that up because I keep running my mouth of some of the people I coach about stomach capacity because the way we would have evolved, we would have large stomach capacity, but now we're eating all these like our eating frequencies so so high like that we're eating everyone's promoting five six whatever meals a day that you're not eating till you're actually full and so our stomachs haven't developed and that's actually an issue because you actually got more capability if you can eat a lot in a sitting and then fast long yeah we had i mean zach you remember we had molly schuyler who's yeah uh, who's 22 pounds of, of I don't know how cold she ate uh she put down 22 pounds of meat in one sitting as a, as yeah, a she's a competitive yeah yeah she's only like 120 pounds or something like that too or maybe even smaller so it's like you see these guys like sean yeah. are twice her size you think like who knows how much you can actually get down well, if you honestly like-, like you should even the way i grew up you know i i was always actually encouraged to eat a big meal when i was a kid and my capacity is probably you know i could eat 10 pounds of food in a sitting if i weigh myself on the scale before i eat and then if I had to like force a little bit extra food, I could easily eat 10 pounds and I'd be comfortably full. I'd be full on 10 pounds of volume, but I've ate 12 pounds of volume, you know, and even if so, everybody should be able to pretty easily eat like five pounds of actual food volume, including the water they drink, they should be able to, any male should for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I've eaten, I've eaten six in one sitting plus water. So whatever that is. So, I mean, I know, yeah, I know that I've I can eaten, do that. I've eaten five pounds of raw steak in a sitting just because I was doing an experiment with blood sugar. I want to see how high I could get my blood sugar up just from protein. And I ate, yeah, I ate five pounds of meat in under an hour. And then I just pretty much watched my blood sugar for 12 hours straight after that, just to show people that, you know, gluconeogenesis, obviously you know about that can be actually driven by protein intake like it actually can be supply driven if you eat enough meat right you can actually get a carb load from eating enough meat what did your blood sugar do when you did that hey let's before we jump into like some of these some of these topics cole tell people a little bit about your background because all i know is is you're the guy that says hey fatty and then i watched it i laughed my ass <laughs> off but i mean tell us a little bit about your background and, and where you're from and, and okay what so you i'm from Great valley Alberta, canada it's a little oil town i worked in the oil patch my whole life up till 
I guess about six, seven years ago. And then I, uh, you know, I just wasn't happy, right? And I moved to Edmonton, Alberta, and I started, I got into fitness training. I was into fitness my whole life. I, you know, I was lifting weights probably since I was 16, competitive boxer, competitive swimmer. And then I got into fitness training and, and I started training people. One thing led to another, you know, then you really start to see the food addiction come out. And I just got sick and tired of training people that had eating issues and you know you get like a mediocre result you train them hard and you get a result but it's just not what you want because they you know they fuck up their diet and they you know what i'm saying so then i one girl specifically she had a real bad issue because they were always bringing food to her work and i challenged her to a 24-hour fast one weekend and i didn't even know anything about fasting at that point i didn't care i'm like you're not gonna die from a 24-hour fast let's do it and then because, you know, I was the leader and then I did 36 hours and I didn't even know nothing about forcing ketosis with fasting or anything at that point. And I just did it. And since then, I loved eating big meals anyway. And I started eating a meal a day and I started pretty much that's when I lost. Like I was good shape as it was, but I wasn't like down to that, you know, that low body fat percentage. I was always carrying a little bit extra, like I'm five foot six and a half. Like I was always around 185, 190, and I could have easily been down around 170. And I lost about 20 pounds in a month, threw up some pictures on the internet, started getting people messaging me about fasting. And, you know, then I did a, a two-day fast, and this is still when I was fasting on fresh water. Then three days, and the three-day fast taxed me in the gym. And then one thing led to another. I started experimenting with the salts, and then I did eight days on the salt water with exercise. And that's when I knew I was onto something. And then I was, then I started promoting like long fasts on salt water and people were just dropping body fat like crazy and curing every health issue under the sun. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had Dr. Jason Fung on the show and you know, as you know, he's a, you probably know he's another fellow Canadian. Yeah. He's yeah. Toronto, and he's a, he's, he's definitely a proponent of prolonged fasting and there yeah. are certainly critics of prolonged fasting out there. You know, and it depends on, I guess, what you're, what you're, what well, you're. Well, so here's that. the thing at this point, like say the say a long fast let's say a real long fast like a 30-day fast okay so i've had people do 30 days on the snake juice if no one knows what that is it's just the salt water right you got potassium chloride sodium chloride in there the two main electrolytes and yeah it's good for self-development but health wise i'd rather get somebody on a good fasting routine that's like 400 pounds or 300 pounds where they're doing 72 it's like 72 hour fasts are gold you know, 72 hours on the salt water. And then, you know, you can log some cardio, you can crank up your activity levels a little bit on the 72, not like doing a 30 day fast. Okay. And then you just basically have small refeeds. If they're fat, you keep it low carb and carry on until you get leaner. And then you'd maybe go to 48s. And then once you're really lean, eventually you have to do 24 hour fasts or a meal a day or something like that. Once you're really lean. Right. So like the long ones are good, but as far as I'm concerned, the health benefit, if you're doing 72s consistently, you're going to see some awesome health benefits from 72-hour fast. But I, it's, I don't mind seeing the odd really fat person do the long one just to break their, break their fear of fasting. So when I coach people, I always get them to do a 72-hour fast minimum right off the bat on the salt water. And if they feel good at 72 hours, usually they'll have some withdrawals and stuff 24, 36 hours, especially if they're coffee addicts. But we'll cut all the coffee and everything. And if they feel good at 72 hours, which a lot of times their blood sugar drops or, you know, their blood sugar clears, and then we might keep fasting. Just we'll take it day by day. And then if they finally refeed, we might go to 72s. You know what I'm saying? As long as it's 
as long as it's consistent, I just don't want them to yo-yo, right? I want them to get to their goal. It's about teaching them discipline. That's why I fat shame the shit out of people too, because you know what, that's what they need to actually keep going with it because people won't tell them the truth. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny cause I, I, I come off as kind of abrasive a lot of people cause I, I just tell people to fuck off and you know, that sort of stuff on Twitter and I don't, you know, I don't care, but at the end of the day, I'm trying to help people, you know, I want to yeah. get some information out there and I see the same thing, yeah. you, you know, a lot of people would see what you do and, and, and not, they would, they would be kind of scared of that. But I mean, at the same time, I think sometimes the message is you got to make a big change and you can't fuck around. You've got to really, you really got to do it. And I, you know, I think, you know, when I, when I, when I watch a couple of your videos, I, you know, I, I sit there and I can say, I can see where some people will be offended by this, but at the same time, I see where a lot of people could use this. They need the motivation. They need someone in their ear yelling at them to say, get after and do it. Do you find, I'm, I'm well, just kind of find, do you find more successful women or men in, with, with this sort of strategy? I mean, I'm um, outside, so the, outside of the fasting. Definitely. Men, what, what will happen with men is essentially they'll come to me, I'll get them started, and either I won't hear from them again, or I'll hear from them in 30 days and they don't even hardly even message me and they've lost like 35 pounds. Now the women, usually uh, I'll get them started, and the ones that do well, they'll be messaging me constantly every day, right? That's what I do all day as I answer people's questions. So the women, the ones that do get awesome results, they're usually just staying in touch with me all the time. And then if they fall off, I just won't hear from them either, right? And then they'll get back on. But usually, definitely the, men, the women have more of an eating issue as far as emotional eating goes. Like where men are just fat, lazy pigs in a sense, but the women will eat when they're emotional. Like, like men aren't going to like, you know, go watch a chick flick and eat like a bucket of chocolate ice cream because they got like dumped, but they will. They'll still go to the bar and get drunk, but they don't hit the sweet stuff like women either. Like they'll still have some sweets, but not like women. They'll always go to the really sweet, sweet foods, like the crazy high sugar shit. And that is exactly, that's the worst thing you can do for your liver where guys, they might eat like garbage, but it might be like pizza. It's not going to be like such high, like, you know, obviously corn syrup. Right. So there's, there's a bit of difference, but I do, I definitely have more women following me. Because women care more because that's just, you know, that's women. It's youth and beauty. That's what makes That's what a woman, you know, their youth and beauty is more important. You can still have a fat man that is masculine and, and like alpha male. And, you know, he still could be attractive. It's different. Women, they, like, they, you see, women will jump off a fucking cliff if you tell them to help them lose weight. It's crazy some of the shit they'll do. What are some of the most common things that, you have to help like walk people through in the early days. Like when you're getting these messages, are there like some common, like reoccurring uh, potential pitfalls that you see people making that you have to make sure that they're kind of staying on top of? Yeah. So like, like I said, right off the, right off the bat, they got to get through that 72 hour fast. Like I won't give them the time of day if they don't get through that because they have to break their fear of fasting because most people, the mainstream still thinks you'll die if you don't eat. Right. So, mm -hmm. and then I get them to go pick up the ketone strips so then they understand. So then it's like that uh, accountability so they can actually see the body like switch into ketosis. So, you know, and so then once they get through the 72 hours, it's almost like a weapon they have in their arsenal. It's like they know that they can do 72 now. So if they do screw up, they can easily jump back on. So then at that point, like I started doing actually a live talk every night and it's just me yelling at people to keep motivated for the most part. And it, it actually comes back once they've, once they've, beat the fear of fasting at that point it's just fixing their life like their stupid job and their 
poor relationships and just being bored, you know, and that's actually, that's end up, that ends up being what I'm digging into the most, like their job that they hate and chasing the dollar, not simplifying their life. That's what, that's what leads to the stress. And that's what leads to all the eating issues. And then, you know, nowadays you can just get food dropped off right at your house. Like we don't got to do anything for anything. We can like, so I got a woman right now I'm helping. She's 500 pounds. She's 31. She was 300 pounds when she was like early teens. And slowly she just became a shut-in because you can just get everything dropped off at the house. So she's just a complete shut-in, right? And she, and so I'm helping her and guess what I'm doing with her now? Getting her out of the goddamn house it's because she's scared to be seen in public. She thinks she looks like fucking Godzilla. So I'm, and so what I'm doing is I, I'm getting, finally she can walk. So that's the difference between me and fat loss coaches. I, I deal with people that can't even walk. So how the hell are you supposed to get them training at all or doing anything? The only thing you can do is get them to stop eating. Right. Or, and then bariatric surgeons are just the biggest scam on the face of the planet. Cause like, you know, a lot of people try to do that, but you just, you stop eating for a year. And then once your stomach heals, you just start eating again. So it doesn't make a difference if your stomach's the size of a walnut anyway, you'll just gain all the weight back. And the only reason you can't eat in the first place because the injury from the surgery. But anyway, so this woman, I get her out in the street and, you know, I get her walking like five minute walks, like four or five times a day because it chafes the crap out of her legs. So just that kind of a thing, just her getting out there and walking around and saying hi to people. That's what it comes down to. It's this basic shit that, that people just, their lives, our lives are so far away from nature now. Like even me, I try to get rid of everything. Like I sleep on the floor. I, you know, I sleep on yoga mats, like just trying to like minimize my life. And that's what really brings you to happiness. It's just a situation of most of North America and most of the world now is so unhappy. And then food's just there. And that's what happens. They just start eating. Yeah. Let me ask you, uh, Cole, cause I know you've played, cause you know, as you probably know, I'm a proponent of, of a meat based diet. I eat a ton of meat yeah. and you know, I, yeah. and I, I only eat once or twice a day too. I mean, I find it and I completely agree with you. This constant eating every 15 minutes is garbage and it's making everybody yeah. fat and miserable in a, in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, there's some, there's some data out there that shows that, you know, you know, withdrawal or dieting in general, which generally means caloric reduction or, or, you know, whatever is going to, yeah. can, can result in some loss of lean muscle mass if you add protein into that situation, adequate protein that minimizes it. And then if you add resistance training and maybe some cardio that minimizes it the least. So if you want to hang on to your lean muscle mass, it seems like caloric reduction, adequate protein, and then doing the resistance training and, and, and potentially. Yeah. Cardio. So like from my experience, say if you're on a really, like when I cut, like say if we got a guy that's 300 pounds. Okay. And let's say this guy has actually built muscle mass. that's beyond natural. So he was like weight training. Uh, our goal is to lose the weight. So a lot of times there's a lot of routines. There's routines for everybody. But a good routine for him would be maybe 72-hour fast and then doing like a full body workout every third day in the evening. And then that guy would eat a big meal in the morning on the training day because that would give him enough intensity in the gym. So in the end, the intensity in the gym is so key for maintaining muscle mass when you're doing a hardcore fasting routine. Because if your intensity drops off, that, that gives you that, that stimulus. Okay? That, gives, that makes your body adapt. That's that adaptive, you know, that adaptive stimulus. And if, you're, if your workout sucks because you didn't have enough jam and like enough glycogen or whatever in your muscles to get that high intensity and on the weights, then that won't help you maintain that muscle that you had from before. But now, if you take the average sedentary fat woman, she's not going to lose any muscle because she hasn't built any muscle. So she can fast for days on end 
and literally your body will get into ketosis and you're just going to be burning straight body fat. She's not going to burn nothing. But now the guys that are athletes, I treat that a little different. Like I might have them on full body every other day, eating on 48s and, and then like fasting on the off day, maybe just doing cardio. And that will keep that muscle quite well. If not, I can build muscle on that routine. If I was fat and I was doing an every other day full body training routine, and I was eating only on the eating day in the morning, I could build muscle and cut weight on that routine very easily and like a massive deficit. You know, I've seen, um, well, I mean, I think building muscle in a deficit is, is, you know, difficult. I mean, I think most people say surplus is easier for sure, but it's interesting you're getting results. And I mean, I've seen clearly there's people getting results. Cause I get, I get messages. I get people all the time. I'll oh, check out the snake that, you know, and I get a lot of people that kind of overlap between yeah. the carnivore community and saying snake diet, snake diet, snake diet. So I looked into it and sure enough, I mean, you've got the results. And so at the end of the day, we're just looking for results. There's all this theoretical <laughs> stuff. There's all this other stuff. And we're just like, where are the results? Talk to us about, you know, maybe some of the res- interesting results you've had. And the other thing, I mean, because the, the thing that kind of, I kind of get a little annoyed with as a physician is, you know, we, everybody puts us into terms of body composition, body fat, you know, physique, but I see a lot of diseases getting better, you know, and I, and I, you know, all due to weight loss. I've seen skinny people with autoimmune diseases get better when you fix their diet. So I don't think it's all down to weight loss. Talk to us about some of the, maybe the diseases you've seen people uh, sort of have. Basically everything. Essentially, if the, if the mainstream doctors haven't got to the person and cut any organs out, you can almost reverse everything. I've even, this is, <laughs> I've reversed type one diabetes at the early stages when a girl got, so here's type one's one of my specialties. Basically I've been helping lots of type ones, but I watch it because if the person seems like a dumbass to me, I won't coach them because then that's an issue. They got to seem like they're smart. You know, the some type ones are so reliant on the insulin. They'll just eat like pigs and then they'll screw something up. But I have had type ones where one girl specifically, she goes, she basically the way it starts with type one, here's what happens. There's always some sort of stressor like years prior, like somebody died or there was a, something happened in a relationship or maybe they got really hurt, like hurt really bad. Maybe they had like some sort of a, a, a sickness, like meningitis or something. And then what happens, the body develops an autoimmune issue. that's almost the same as MS, to be honest. But it just ends up being the, the issue with the pancreas and the body attacking the beta cells in the pancreas. And then what happens, this person still isn't fasting. So they're just living their normal life. And slowly but surely, their pancreas starts producing less and less insulin. And one day their blood sugar gets high enough that it hits a threshold. This is from my experience. The blood sugar will get to a certain threshold and the person will start urinating like crazy. And then soon enough, they'll end up in the, they'll, they'll be urinating days before that. Like, and then it'll just get so bad. They'll get chronically dehydrated. And that's when they end up in the hospital with keto, with diabetic ketoacidosis. And so this one girl, this is what happened. She ended up in the hospital, diabetic ketoacidosis, they seen what was going on right away. They diagnosed her as a type one diabetic. So then she was on insulin for a week and she got a hold of me and I'm like, okay, we're going to go on this protocol that I basically, it's, you know, one meal a day, low carb, and we're going to cut that insulin down to nothing. And it took me a week. It took me one week with her eating a meal a day to get her completely off the insulin where her 
body was actually controlling blood sugar. And like, if she would have stayed on that insulin, they would have systematically just destroyed that girl. Like within, you know, the rest of her life, she would have been screwed. And that's, and I got a girl now I'm coaching that just got diagnosed a year ago. And I think if I would have got to her at that time, if we can reverse this one, we'll be really good. Some of them though, they've been so screwed up on insulin so long. Like one girl I coached, she was a type one for 20 years. And I got it from 30 units of insulin a day down to a half a unit or one unit. Like just by eating a meal a day and, and controlling that blood sugar. And then your body gets, the sugar gets down and it just is nice and flat. You're not eating all day, right? So it's, and then uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to comment, you know, we've seen similar results from a group called the Paleo Medicina group, who, who again, is using, uh, using approach. Again, it's a very, you know, it's basically a meat-based diet where they're, right. they're actually seeing, you know, a lot of people call it the honeymoon phase of type 1 diabetes when you first get it and you still have a little bit of beta cell function capacity left. And so you can kind of, if you can get in there at the beginning, you might so be able like, to Yeah, that. so here's the, that's just some stupid goddamn, you know, some, some wording that the mainstream gave that, like the honeymoon, the reason it's the, the reason you're, showing that you're still making insulin is because you are making insulin. And so if you start fasting and you give your pancreas a break, your pancreas will start working again. Like this is where now you have to be a type one for years and like taking that exogenous insulin to really screw shit up completely. But anybody that is getting diagnosed as a type one later, like, you know, in their early late teens or whatever, or you want maybe because that they had like that stressor I was talking about that can be reversed. If they start fasting and they cut the sugar back, that can definitely be reversed. Yeah, we saw back, you know, before the invention of in insulin, when Banting invented it back in the 20s. I mean, you know, prior to that, the, the dietary strategy for, for type 1 diabetics was, you know, basically a low-carb strategy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, similar. So, I mean, I, yeah. you know, that, that's what we've used for, for years. That's but one thing, too, like, like, I know, like, even, like, you, like, even talking about, this is one thing that'll be good for some of your listeners. Like, I know a lot of people when you're talking about like the carnivore diet, you know, a lot of people think that that's a ketogenic diet. It can be, it can be ketogenic, but the way most people are doing it, it's not keto. Okay. The protein's too high. So like, cause I've, I've done like that's So that's the thing. Now, if uh, you're eating now, if you're fasting, you can get away with a lot more protein anyway, even if you're type one, it's not such a big issue, right? Because you're fasting all day. So your blood sugar is going to clear. But if you're, cranking the protein up you definitely will produce higher sugar levels and it's funny i get a lot of people talk about that they think they're doing keto but without any vegetables when they're eating carnivore but they're most of them aren't they're eating enough most of them are eating enough meat that if they actually check their blood sugar levels their blood sugars will increase so i don't know if you've done many blood sugar experiments but when i ate that five pounds of meat in that sitting and my whole idea was I wanted to experiment with some bikini competitors as I was coaching. So instead of carving up, we just meat load, right? And then the meat load, they wouldn't have any spillover. So they'd look just ripped the next day because they would carve up. It would, so what happened was I ate about five pounds of raw meat and my blood sugar, normally if I'm in ketosis, I'm around like uh, 3.5, let's say. So if people are talking milligrams per deciliter, like, you know, 60 something, 60 something. And usually if I'm about 12 hours fasted, if I ate any carbs, I'm like in the fours. Okay. I'm always under five. Always. When I correct it, I'm always under five. So I'm always under like a hundred. Always. So when I ate all that meat, my blood sugar jumped a point. So it got up to about 5.4, which was really cool because it held. So it never spiked, 
like it would have if you just would have ate like some real starch. It just crept up and I felt myself getting hot, just like if you eat some carbs and I warmed up, veins started popping out. And then I checked my blood sugar every hour on the hour, like right till I, I checked it late into the evening, like probably about 12 hours straight. And I was at about 5.2 for that long. So it's just this constant little shot of insulin. It makes you very anabolic without, without having the big spike, which is pretty cool. But now that's because I ate like, obviously like that was 600 grams of protein. Now from my experience, if I eat, if I ate just a, a, like, a, you know, a, a straight meat, like zero carb, if I ate like, I'd need to eat probably about 300 grams of protein to get some of that sugar effect to make it so the glyconeogenesis becomes like supply driven or else it won't. And that's when you get into keto macros when you're lower than that. And like, I don't use keto macros really for anybody unless they have like epilepsy, uh, cancer, um, Alzheimer's. I won't use keto macros really for nothing unless it's those cases. Uh, Cause I always want somebody, I always want people to get some glycogen, some glucose if they're gonna be a performance athlete of some sort of train, right? Yeah, when we look at, you know, uh, gastric motility, you know, when we eat these giant servings of protein and meat, but what happens is our gastrointestinal sac will actually slow down peristalsis. So we have more time to extract the nutrition out and that causes a steady release of these amino acids, which can later be converted into glucose via gluconeogenesis. And you're absolutely right that Funny. then go on to help us refer, re refill our glycogen stores, particularly in the liver. And that helps us with performance for sure. Um, I've seen that, you know, like I said, I've broken world records on all meat, you know, and, and I eat a lot. And a lot, what I'll do before a contest, you know, I'll, I'll eat a, you know, giant three, four pound, uh, you know, uh, tomahawk ribeye four or five hours before I train. Because I found that, you know, the peak time for, for that glucose spike for me or for many people is, is, is in that about three to five hours out. And then it yeah, it's later. It's steady, slow, yeah. Low. Yeah, whereas you look at carbs, it's usually 30 minutes to an hour typically. That's you see actually a good, good point you brought up, though, about that's another thing going back to, you know, lions or whatever. Like, that's about that stomach capacity because people think, oh, small meals all day long, so they break down really quick. That's exactly what causes insulin spikes because if you fill your gut up, you have some retention time. That's how it's supposed to be. So now probably one thing we won't agree on, like, like I say, I use – I do use carnivore. Like I do have some people I coach now that they're on strict carnivore macros. Like, you know, they're eating basically just steak, liver, uh, you know, and fat, right? Because there's some issues they got. And like, I will use it as a protocol for people that have stomach problems, but there's a lot of people that I feel that can eat fruit and vegetables fine and they have no issues. And they're like, going carnivore just because now that's I don't think that's I think that's dumb because I think even because of the hormetic effect and such I think the body's very resilient and I think it doesn't have to be a pile of vegetables but even me I always feel better and I have way better bowel movements when I do like right now I'm eating I always eat lots of meat but right now on a workout day I'll eat a small amount of carb via like maybe rice or potatoes and then I'll eat some like vegetables that are low calorie and then I'll eat my meat my meat serving i have the best bowel movements like if you're if your stomach's in good shape i don't people don't have to fucking treat this shit like a religion and completely be that they don't have to cut all the stuff like that it doesn't make any sense yeah, yeah i mean i would ultimately i would agree with you on that and zach i know does something similar i mean again there are a lot of people where these things don't bother them and, and i've told people all along yeah. it works for it you know if you can if you can handle yeah. some blueberries and some raspberries and, and some rice go ahead and go for it 
there are people out there that just don't do well with that and you have to really exactly. be objective about it. And I think meat is sort of the easiest food to eat. Uh, you know, yeah, there's no toxins there. Your body, yeah. if you have issues, it's, it's good to go to ground zero for sure. If there's a problem with your body, a lot of people, if we can't figure it out, go straight meat. Like there's a guy right now that I've had even straight, strict carnivore for probably the last three months. And we're going to try to bring back some vegetables now just a bit because his bowel movements just never were that great. So I'm talking a small amount. This is where people fuck up. It's like, if you're going to reintroduce the vegetables somewhat, small amounts, like a, like a cup. Like if you're eating mostly meat, if you're eating a meal a day and you're lean or whatever, just like a cup, like, you know, some, maybe some peas and carrots and some, whatever you want, some sauerkraut, who knows, but just play with the smallest amount. And then, you know, and then you might, then if you see a reaction, cut that out and then mess around with something else. Like I, I'm like, a, I'm a feeding frequency guy. Number one, like the fasting is a blanket for everybody. Everybody can fast. And then macros and uh, calorie count. Obviously, fat people need super low eating frequency and super low calorie count. And the macro should be very low carb, if not any at all. And then I got now, this is a good point now. Let's say for cutting, say if I'm trying to cut somebody, like that guy we're talking about that's like, let's say that he's 300 pounds and I have him on 48-hour fasting routine. This is where I'll run into problems with, if I was, if, say, if, if I was to use just based on the macro routine, not based on just because it's carnivore, because no vegetables, just because the macro routine, I have a tough time getting the calories low enough. Because as soon as I knock the calories down too low, and I'm trying to help the 300 pound fat guy lose weight, and let's say he's eating that meal in the morning on his training day, that as soon as the calories are too low, the protein's too low to give him that carb hit that we talked about. So the only way I can get, get, keep the calories down plus get the carb hit for the gym is using starch. You see what I'm saying? Because the only way I can get a carb hit out of the meat, out of the refeed on the height on the meat is if he basically eats like 300 grams or 400 grams of protein. And right there, you're looking at 1600 calories and plus whatever fat where I could get him to eat a smaller amount of protein and add the carbon and that would give him the snap that I'm looking for, for the intensity in the gym. And he's going to lose weight 20 times faster than eating carnivore. You see? So like, I got to juggle that around a little bit. Yeah. Cool. If that makes sense. Now, if you're at maintenance, like you, if you're not trying to lose weight, the carnivore routine would work good. And then if you want to eat vegetables on top and keep the carbs right out of your diet altogether, and just stick to like basically a meat diet with some vegetables on the side works great. But for cutting people that are performance athletes, I'll always use a, a, a protein count that I think is enough to handle the muscle breakdown and then some sort of a fast carb. And I'll buck that meal right close to the workout. The smaller the meal, I'll buck it closer to the workout. So they utilize those carbs instantly for that workout. Then afterwards, they're already almost back in ketosis, burning body fat, right? And I can keep the calories very low doing that. Yeah, cool. I think like what you described is just, uh, you know, like the context of everything. Like, you know, you have to look at what the specific goals and where the person is and where they're trying to get. And you're going to have some drastic, oh, maybe not drastically different things, but like, you know, you're just going to have to like be open-minded to that sort of thing. And it sounds like you're, you're kind of got good ideas for a variety of different approaches for a variety of different purposes. And, you know, that's what I, what I like what Sean was saying earlier is, you know, I do what I call like kind of my baseline nutrition is meat, fatty cuts of meat. And then I'll like, yeah. kind of, you know, anything else is just kind of like, like side type of stuff. So it's, yeah. uh, 
kind of like a meat based diet as opposed to a strict carnivore diet. Um, and I, I think that's what I like about that is it kind of opens the door to folks to say like, Hey, this is an approach that allows enough flexibility that, uh, you can find what works for you. It doesn't have to be like, this is the only way to do it. And if you can't do it, you're right. out of the club kind of, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so the thing I find really interesting about your approach with like the snake diet or just like the single meal a day or even like the longer fasting yep. is that's kind of the constant. And then do you see a pretty big range between folks and where their macros are coming from? Do you have any folks that are doing a high carb diet? Yeah, so um, they're always hitting them. Okay, like so if they're athletes, they're always still going to be hitting some sort of a protein count. Let's just say you're – you know, your, your gram per pound body weight or your 0.8 grams per pound body weight if they're eating a meal a day because those people are already lean, right? And then we just play with the carbs. So, like, if they're, if, if, they're, if, they're, if they're trying to cut a little bit, like, here, let's talk about me. Even my routine right now is actually I'm on a slight cut. So, I actually went to full body workouts every other day. So, here's my exact routine that I'm on. Um, on my training day with the weights, I will actually, after we're off here, I usually would have ate two hours ago, but this got fucked up. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, but on my training day with the weights, I will go to the, I will, I will eat basically a plate of vegetables. And those vegetables are like some pickles, some beets, uh, some borscht. And I pretty much do that because I can eat a lot of food. So it's almost like, gives, it, it's, it's almost like that appetizer to give me some food volume. Cause then I won't overeat on the meat and on the carbs so I can keep the, like a good caloric deficit because that's pretty much like zero calorie food, right? It's very low. Beets have a little bit, but I'll throw some beets in there just for some potassium and such. So then what I'll do is I'll eat that. I'll have some borscht and then I already feel kind of like, you know, something's in me. And then I'll eat a serving of meat that's probably equivalent to about a pound of meat, about a pound. So, you know, hitting like probably 120 grams of protein from the meat maybe a little more, maybe up to 160. And I kind of go by feel. It depends how much you're beating the shit out of your muscles too. If you're tearing them down really bad, you need a little more protein. If you're doing like more of a strength routine, you can get away with less. And then I'll eat uh, basically a plate of carbs. So like that'll be like either like potatoes or rice or something. And I'll do that on my strength on my training day because I hit like heavy loads on my lifting days, like really heavy loads. And then on the rest day, so I'll do that workout, and usually that calorie count on that meal will be at a slight deficit the last couple of weeks. Like I'll be able to tell because I weigh myself every morning and use scale feedback to dial in the, the meal. So I know I don't have to count the calories perfect. I just go by the scale, and I know exactly what I eat, and I just cut back a little bit of carb. And then on the rest day, which is kind of a cardio day, I'll stick to very low carb. So I'll eat basically, you know, that's where I hammer back my collect like my really fatty meats and maybe some vegetables and oh also the meat on the training day is lean i try to go with like white fish or something lean on the training day to keep the calories down and then like i said it's about meal timing and then when i eat the fatty meats i don't eat carbs with those because that's the fatty meats obviously if you eat a bunch of carbs you'll spike your insulin and you'll store a bunch of body fat so that's kind of how i do it i have a day where i eat carbs and very lean on the carb day and then the day where i'm doing just cardio and I'll eat that morning, I'll eat like fatty meat, like, you know, steak and eggs, fatty meat, maybe some greens, on, like some beans or something there. And that's basically my routine. And then so it's fairly high carb, but I try to go with the minimum amount of carbs possible. So I just, I try to feel it out with whoever I'm coaching. 
and I try to go with just enough carbs that the workout feels good. That is it. And that's if they're on a real hardcore cut, you know, like, so maybe it's a fat guy that's doing 48. So we're trying to get away with a 1500 calorie meal. Like that's pretty low. So I'll give them just, I'll, we'll try to hit just enough protein and just enough carbs that that workout feels good. And that's kind of the goal. So he's not over, he's not eating in excess and we don't, we're not taking advantage of the carbs that we eat. It's Cause you'll just roast those carbs right out of your body during that workout. Right. Let's talk about, I mean, you know, you know, you, you can cut calories and lose weight. And everybody knows that you, you can't, yeah. you can't be hungry for years and years on end. And so you have to get to a point where you've, you've gotten to where, and I saw a video of you talking about body set point, you know, yeah. how to get yeah. there and how to maintain. I think it's a good, good conversation to have. Yeah. And how do we go after we've lost that way, got down to a reasonable body fat percentage, got rid of all the, the silly diseases of, of you know, civilization. Yeah. Now, how do we make, how do you, how do you suggest people maintain and not go crazy? Cause you don't want to so get the, probably the, one of the great routines. Obviously I promote like activity for one, right? Cause if you're active, you're always going to get away with eating more food, but like my maintenance routine for anybody once they're lean. So let's talk about, so you get a, a person that's fat and you get them down to where they're getting pretty lean and they got to hold that body fat for a while to get the body to adapt to being there. Like I even noticed this with my body because I've done experiments where I like fattened up to 206 pounds from like 170 in six weeks eating trash just so I could cut all the weight in two, on a two week fast just to show people that fasting won't kill you. And I felt that experiment it was definitely took a little more work for me to break through some plateaus to get back down to like that eight or nine percent body fat or whatever i don't like you said screw the percentages like back to where i could see like pretty lean abs you know and so they gotta hang out there that's just discipline i noticed it with the one girl i coach that competes in bikini and uh, like drug free obviously i don't coach anybody that's doing drugs and she is doing back-to-back -back shows so we got her down for the first show and it was, it was tough. But now that she's lean, all we're doing is we're doing the same thing every day. We're just eating a meal that's about 1200 calories. She eats probably close to that 100 gram protein mark. And she eats a little bit like maybe 200 calories with a sweet potato, fucks it up pretty close to the workout and she trains and that's how you maintain. Like end of the day, it doesn't matter what you do. Fasting makes things simple. And like low eating frequency makes things makes things simple. But if you don't got the discipline, you're never gonna have that freaking elite fucking body fat level under. There's no way. Like it takes work. You just and but the longer you stay there for sure, after a while, you will see that your maintenance calories will creep back up. For example, let's say my maintenance calorie count eating exact. Let's just use uh, let's use a carnivore routine. Let's just pretend. Let's say that I was 200 pounds. And I was eating, let's say, 3,500 calories of ribeye steak. And that was, I was maintaining on that. So let's say I was doing the same activity every day, 3,500 calories. I maintain at 200 pounds, just eating ribeye steak, and that's it. Keep it simple. Then I start to cut. So let's say I start cutting down, cutting down, cutting down. And I got to get down like a decent deficit. Let's say I get down to 2,000 calories, and I'm cutting on 2,000 just on the ribeye steak. And let's say I get down to a buck seventy. Well, for a while, it's going to be tough to hold that. I'll probably have to stay at that 2,000 calories for a little bit. But slowly but surely, as long as you're not so lean that you're like 5% stage lean, but you're still in an anabolic state where you can still build some muscle. So like pretty lean. A male can get down to 8% body fat and maintain that and still be strong as hell because I've done it. So you get down to where you're like 170, like I'm using my kind of body size. And then slowly, you're at 2,000 calories on that cut. 
then you notice that, geez, you can eat like 2,600 and you're not gaining any weight back. Then you're like, geez, I'm eating 3,500 again of the ribeye steak at 170 and you're actually staying lean and not gaining a pound back. And that's the same amount of food as you were eating at 200 pounds. And it just takes time for the body to adapt. Just takes time to, you gotta, you gotta get down there and stay there. You got, and you've noticed, if you talk to like bikini coaches that are like drug-free bikini coaches, they'll all like attest to this, where if they did back-to-back -back shows, it makes it very easy, easy to stay lean all year round. Like most of the girls that are competing in any of that shit, you, they should maybe swing 10 pounds. Like if their stage weight was 110, like very lean, they should be maybe at most 120 when they're off season, still lean. Like even me, I've competed in a powerlifting meet at 163. And I won that meet and I did a pretty quick cut. Like I kind of fucked a couple things up on that cut because I was actually using keto macros, which is ridiculous. I would never do that again because I would, I, I, because my intensity dropped in the gym a little bit and it hurt my lifts. I would have been eating a little bit of carb. It would have been way easier. But anyway, I was 163 and I'm lean at that weight, probably like numbers wise on a DEXA scan, I'm probably like 7% body fat. And like power lifters that are natural, there's no power lifters. That, that, that was the fasting. Like I, that's the only way I could maintain that because it keeps your insulin down all the time. And as soon as your insulin's low, your GH can climb up. That keeps you very muscle sparing. When your insulin's low, your hormone sensitive lipase will actually break down body fat. And that's what people don't get. When you're trying to cut on a caloric deficit with a high eating frequency, you'll break down muscle like crazy. It's clockwork. You know, if you have a girl that's cutting on a thousand calories a day, and she's eating six meals a day to, to make up that thousand calories, she will definitely lose muscle with that high eating frequency, guaranteed. If you took all that food and fuck it into one meal, and then you get the GH production up, and you're getting the fasting in there, and you're actually forcing ketosis after maybe 12 hours, you're gonna hold on to muscle and be able to maintain a very lean body, and you're not gonna be weak. That's what the bikini girl I just coached, like she's strong. I kept her strength up through the whole cut. So, and like her compound lifts were up still. Like she got ripped and she could still move weight. I've heard of bikini coaches dieting these girls and the girls like lose 50% of their strength on their compounds. You know, it's just, they lose muscle unless they're on drugs. The only way they can maintain on a six meal a day cut is if they're on gear and that will be very muscle sparing. But if they're not on gear, they'll, they'll waste away on that kind of routine and they'll, they won't beat their food addiction either, which is probably the worst part. Yeah, I mean, those are those are some interesting points. Um, you know, one thing I, I, I see, you know, and I certainly agree that, you know, like like me, I, I went from 290 when I was doing Highland Games, when I was throwing, I had to be a big monster to throw yeah. these poles and stuff like that. Got down to 240. And I mean, I've sat there for five, six, seven years without even trying. I mean, and I'm eating, you know, four or 5,000 calories a day. And that's what it takes for me to maintain. Whereas before, that sort of thing would have, I would have put on body fat. So I think over time you do it. Exactly. Down. And, and I, you know, I've sat there and now if I want to, if I want to get really lean and I, you know, I sit around, you know, 12, 12, 13% comfortable, happy, uh, you know, and with, with, you know, thinking about, do I need to get down to 8% for any reason? And I, and I think for me, performance, I'm trying to still be a little bigger so I can pull hard on the rowing machine, break records yeah. and stuff like that. But I do see that, you know, yeah, the, the, the misconception is this calories in calories out is the only thing that matters. And yeah, that occurs in the short term. But I mean, over the long term, we do see adaptations that occur, whether it's, you know, our, our metabolic machinery, our mitochondrial density, all those things can be changed yeah. over time. You know, we can compare, you know, the, even the same person, you look at a 20 year old kid, he can eat a hell of a lot more than he can when he's 50, uh, just because everything's broken down, but you can get some of that back, I think. 
Yeah, well, plus the kids usually more active. Like people, as they get older, they like the activity levels do drop. But I'm talking just that regular stuff, just walking around. You know, like like the activity level drops like crazy when you people just don't move as much, and that 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 little bit of calorie burn on the day when you're just moving around as a kid, that's a, that, that adds up to a lot of energy on if you're doing on a day to day basis. Like if you're burning an extra 500 calories every single day, just moving around more, you know, that's so like people got to force themselves to be active now. Yeah. I mean, there's some called neat, you know, non-exercise yeah, activity right. thermogenesis, which, which we know does occur. And I, and I think certainly that's the case. And I think, you know, older people as their joints hurt, they just don't feel like doing stuff. And, and I think one of the nice things I've seen, and probably you see it with fasting too, your joints stop hurting. And so you feel like yeah. moving more. And I, and I literally, I mean, I, you know, I feel, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 52 and I, and I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about day going, after this going to go beat the hell out of this rowing machine i can't yeah. wait to do it so i'm ready to go all the time See, so one good difference one good point you were talking about body fat percentage like say for yourself you know to keep your strength like meal timing is key and like i love how you said the calories in calories out because they just don't get it it's, it's eating frequency macros and calories all three of those count right so with you like say if you were trying to cut like with me like my niche is weight loss. So like, I gotta be, I gotta be lean. Okay. Like there's no such thing as a fat, fat loss coach, you know, like, you know, and even you, you're still like, you know, so it does help. There's no doubt when you're lean, especially you, it's cold. You're 52. I'm actually almost excited to get older now because the older you get, the more, the more credibility you got, like all my mentors, like all my powerlifting coaches, and they're all guys that were drug free and they're all almost 50 years old. All my mentors. Right, because they've been through the, the ring, like they've they've done everything, and they're still healthy at that age. You got to listen to these guys when they're getting older, and they're not all beat up, and and you know their joints are still good. But as far as with you, like meal timing would be key. Like if you were trying to chisel down, like if you're trying to cut calories, obviously you want to place your food at the perfect place where you're going to have that best performance in your workout, and then after that, it's just essentially like just uh, discipline to fast the rest of the day like i don't know what time you do your rowing sessions and your workouts but you know based if i was doing that kind of a routine that you're eating i'd be eating just all the meat i would try to get it as close as i can to the workout to where you feel somewhat digested where you feel good during the workout but i wouldn't i'd never eat at night like once you start doing your research on circadian rhythm and stuff like i haven't bought into nighttime eating for a while and it's not even comparable not even comparable when you eat before the workout. It's just not even like close to the same performance. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, you know, I, and I, and if I do eat, you know, a, a later meal, it's usually late afternoon. I never eat, you know, I never, I try to never eat before the sun goes down. I mean, or after. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I think that lines up with our circadian biology. I think, you know, Sachin Pan and some of these other guys have done some research on yeah. that. But there does yeah, appear to be an like effect. So I, like, I always experiment first and then I do the research later, right? So, of course, one thing, I was starting this cut, and I had a girl doing uh, 24 out, like this one girl I was coaching for a show. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll do a little bit of a cut. I was about 180, you know, and I'm like, yeah, let's see if I can manage 48-hour fast with a, with a every-other-day training routine. So I was doing the 48s, but the problem I ran into is I got to eat like a horse on those 48s. I can't, like I got to eat a lot. And I was eating at night, so it wasn't feasible. I was eating like, you know, 5,000 calories in a sitting on, on every second day. And then I would train fasted the next day and the, and the performance wasn't as good. So I went back to breakfast and I was eating this massive breakfast 
And then I would train later that night. And she's my, it was crazy. My strength went up in, in three days. It was like, okay. It was like me squatting like 300, me squatting, like say 275 pounds for a set of 10 and the 10th rep and the 10th rep, you're like feeling something to three days later, hitting 315 for 11 reps in three days, just because I ate in the morning. So then I'm like, then obviously I'm like, geez, I was right in the first place. Cause when I started fasting on a meal a day, I was eating breakfast every morning. That's how I did it. Just, that was just natural. And then I started reading about it and then sure as shit, the freaking science is there. And I'm like, okay, yeah, your metabolism, you start warming up at, at like two hours before you wake up. Your metabolism, your cortisol's up in the morning. You're more insulin sensitive. And it made sense that your cortisol's up because the whole thing I bought into was I was screwing around with keto before and I was eating breakfast and then I did a cut for a powerlifting meet. And then for some reason, I just started experimenting with coffee like an idiot and it's trash. Like you don't need coffee. So I was doing two coffees a day black and I was eating a keto meal at night and the keto meal is low volume, right? Cause you're not eating a bunch of carbs. So it's a very easy meal to get in. And sure as shit, when I realized the coffee was trash because I didn't do anything for me, but made me develop a, an addiction and screwed up my REM sleep. I cut that and I stayed at on nighttime eating routine because I had all these experts saying that, Oh, we would have ate it. We would have killed the animal at night and ate it. It's bullshit. There's no light. And then I, I started, listening to Sachin Panda and he basically said everything that made sense to me because even when I used to work in the patch we'd go out to work in the morning and there's so many deer before the sun comes up it's like shooting fish in a barrel and that's why it's illegal to hunt like so in my mind cortisol is up they would have went hunting early in the morning killed something really quick and then ate it and then they would have carried on with their day and then we would have definitely not went to bed with a gut full of food because our melatonin goes back up our body starts to cool down right before we go to sleep and our GH increases at night. And like, as soon as you eat all that food at night, you spike your insulin and you put the brakes on the GH production, which is ridiculous because that's the most important healing time. So it just made no sense. So eating at night, you're not going to get the full heal in the evening because the GH stays low. And then the, during the day, the next day, yeah, you're fasted. Right. But the thing is you're not healing very well then either because you're moving around. It just made no. And then as soon as I went back to breakfast, I, I cu started cutting again and I was 180 and I was cutting down, went to breakfast, started cutting fast again. Cause by the time you get back to the next morning, cause when you eat in the morning, it's like the, it's like having a massive flame versus a little like match. You're dumping diesel on this huge flame in the morning and it's just ready to burn that energy at night. It's like dumping diesel on this little match and there's a bunch of spillover and you store fat like crazy. Right. And that, then I started losing weight and my strength started going through the roof. And like, I'm 168 pounds now. And I haven't been this strong since three years ago when I first was eating a meal a day in the morning. And like, I, you know, just for some numbers, like I got a three, like no straps, no nothing. I'm probably about a 315, 320 pound boss bench presser right now at 168 pounds. I got about 190 pound overhead strict press. My deadlift's probably around 500. And my squats probably about low bar, probably be about 415, 420 high bar, probably about 380. So, and I'm 37 years old, right? And I haven't even been training strict for a while for powerlifting. Now I got, it's like, now I got a case again, where I have confidence that I can get just ripped eating in the morning and keeping the strength through the roof where I could not pull this off eating at night. I never could. And it, it just bothered me for three years. I, I, you know, sometimes, 
when you don't even know what you're doing, you just listen to your body, you don't listen to anybody, you get it right. And it took, and I had to make a whole 360 to figure it out that I was doing the right thing right when I started tasking. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the body does a really good, a good, really good job of telling you what it wants if you're exactly. willing to listen to it and give it what it needs. Now for a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by oxygen. Why, you ask? Well, because when you're dry fasting like coal, oxygen's the only damn thing you need. So enter HPO at the checkout for 100% off your next purchase of oxygen. Now, back to the show. Um. You know, one thing I find interesting is uh, kind of as fasting has gotten more popular and then some science has kind of started to come up behind it is I think it's a great tool. And I think especially when we're talking about some of those folks you'd mentioned earlier in the podcast were like three, four, 500 pounds and absolutely need to lose weight if they want to, you know, live to be their, their full length. But then on the other side of the spectrum, you know, you can have folks sometimes who would maybe see something like this as an opportunity to feed an eating disorder. Do you see a lot of that with folks that reach out to you? Do you have to be kind of cognizant of good like question. this person in it for the right reason? That is a good question. So a lot of times I'll have a discussion with people that I coach, but it's funny how you brought up the eating disorder because a lot of times people are like, Oh, that's an eating disorder. And they're fucking 500 pounds. Well, that's an eating disorder. <laughs> as far as I'm, there's an eating disorder exists on both ends. Mm-hmm. I call it actually the high end eating disorder. Now in the low end, the high end of you and you're a fat pig and can't stop eating. The low end is when you're like have anorexia or bulimia. But to tell you the dead honest truth, I way rather coach an anorexic or somebody that's had that kind of like that low end eating disorder, because honestly, all I need to help those people do is get confident again. A lot of times they're just very insecure about life and scared. And when I talk to them, I get them confident. Actually, the same thing happens when I coach vegans, when I get them off veganism. Okay, because it's like the same shit. They watched fucking stupid what the health and seeing a cow get its fucking head chopped off. And now they're like, because people are such snowflakes now, they can't handle a little bit of blood. And now, and then they go vegan. And so I get them, I tell them, I won't coach you unless you eat meat. I ain't going to coach your fucking vegan bullshit. So same thing with them. Just there's no confidence with this younger generation. And that's why you see all these vegans and all these people with like some of these anorexics. But at the end of the day, like the people with the anorexia issue they actually had like some serious discipline to not eat right so all i gotta do is get them eating again but the people that are overweight like it's it's harder for sure because they're just such addicts hey cole let's go back to uh the salt water thing because you know i want to talk a little about electrolytes because there's a lot of you know misconception around electrolytes how much you need when do you need them what type do you need yeah. What, where do you draw sort of your conclusions as to, you know, the quote unquote snake juice you make, which is, you know, sodium chloride and potassium chloride? Okay. What, so basically it all started when I first experimented there. I kept it simple because I started looking at like the cell and, you know, how we needed like the cell wall and the potassium chloride pump, like, you know, sodium pump. And uh, that was the whole, what happened. I was fasting on the, so when I first started fasting, I always pushed my limit. That's where you got to be. You got to be stoic that way, right? I was always pushing it. It's like, okay, they lied to us about eating one meal a day. I'm like, let's see if we can go one meal every two days. Let's see if we can go one meal every three days, right? So I did the 48 on fresh water. That didn't kill me too bad. And that was with training. Then when I hit that 72 that day, though, I was doing deadlifts and I was very lightheaded on fresh water. 
And then I started doing some research about salts, talked to one of my old mentors, how, you know, he would, he would mess with some salts when he was bodybuilding still. And, and then I uh, basically figured, okay, I'll make, I'll dumb it right down to the two main salts that we probably use the most. It's the potassium and the sodium. And then that's how it started. So I was just mixing up the snake juice and I was just trying to hit like the recommended RDA on the day. I was trying to hit about 5,000 potassium, about 4,000 sodium. And then I just drink enough water that is comfortable. Usually if you're fasting, you know, I was, I'd need maybe two and a half, three liters, maybe even two liters, depending if I was doing any real like activity. And then that was it. And that was those two main salts. Now, that being said, that, that just dumbs it down for the, you know, people aren't that bright these days. So it just dumbs it down, but pretty much any salt out there, like you could, you could use like, so we got some magnesium in there, like citrates, like magnesium citrate. Uh, I don't want too much citrate though, because you can get too much of it, but it does help break down kidney stones. And then baking soda, baking soda is like still one of the best salts you could possibly put in your body. Sodium bicarbonate is excellent for your, for your kidneys. Okay. It helps, it helps your kidneys not develop stones. Um, when you start fasting, you might start trying to kick a stone or two and it'll actually break them up. It has to do with the charge and stuff. And, uh, so that's what I kind of dumb that snake juice down to at the moment would just be those two main salts and some magnesium and some baking soda and that's it. And then you fast, but there's other salts like one's borax. If you want to get like controversial, like borax has got to be one of the biggest scams I've ever seen. So like borax on the shelf, you know, it's like a cleaner. Well, the boron in the borax is one of the things that we lack, like completely lack in our diet. And I did lots of research on like, you know, it's one of the main things to crank up testosterone is boron, boron, zinc, magnesium, the two main, three main electrolytes. But to get the boron, it's funny, there's a little town called Boron in uh, California is where one of the mines are. And if you take a box of that borax and you put one teaspoon of that borax into one liter of water, one teaspoon out of that whole box and that box is like 10 bucks. So we're talking a teaspoon is like nothing. If you put one teaspoon into a liter of water, that borax, and then take a teaspoon of that solution, that's the same amount of boron as in a three milligram capsule you'd buy at the store and buying a hundred capsules for 30 bucks. Biggest scam I ever seen in my life. And it's actually more pure. It's the pure salt and they got you scared of it. So that was one other thing I had people adding to snake juice was, you know, you take an eighth of a teaspoon of boron each day if you, you know, things like that. And essentially anything that's calorie free, sweetener free would be something you could use. Like I do have people use some apple cider vinegar because when they're detoxing, it's excellent for the liver. It keeps your blood sugar down. Um, and then lemon juice. Some people, you know, it's good for your kidneys as well. Cause I always kind of cater to the kidneys and liver when people are detoxing really hard because shit can happen for sure. Like people, a lot of times they'll have already gallstone issues and kidney stone issues and all this other shit, right? But that's basically the snake juice. You know, it's just those two, in simplest form, it's those two basic salts, which you can go buy at the grocery store and mix up some snake juice. Or we actually sell snake juice packets on Amazon now because people were too fucking lazy to just go mix it up for pennies. People will pay, like they'll pay. Like I'm like, shit, I tell them like full disclosure. I'm like, this shit, you can buy it off us. They're begging us to make it, so we have it in packets, or you can just go to the fucking grocery store and mix it up. Now, UK, uh, Australia, there's a few places that it's hard to get the potassium chloride. 
which is ridiculous. I think one of the reasons we have it here on the shelf in Canada is because it was a supplement for sodium because everyone is scared shitless of fucking sodium, which is nothing to be scared of. It's not the problem. Like, same with, we get into cholesterol too because you're a fat and a carnivore guy. We could burn the cholesterol myth down too, fucking vegans. Like, you need cholesterol for Christ's sakes. <laughs> People think cholesterol clogs your arteries, right? Yeah, we, we can certainly do it. it high yeah, insulin, high, high eating frequency, high insulin nonstop. And inflammates, it inflames the shit out of your arteries. You get lesions in your arteries. Cholesterol and calcium come along, try to heal the problem. That does cause blockage, but originally it's because your arteries are getting hard because you're high frequency eating and your fucking high sugar diet. Pretty simple, right? It's, yeah, it's we've gotten on the we've gotten onto the cholesterol thing many times on the show. We've <laughs> got cardiologists that say that's BS and all that stuff, so it's good to hear. But hey, I want to because I want to continue on this stuff because I know you also sometimes have people do what's called dry fasting where they don't yeah. they don't yeah. even drink. So talk a little bit about the utility of that and where you're, you're where you're employing that that technique. So if we're talking like from an autophagy standpoint, so usually I won't even bother getting people to dry fast that are really obese. It's going to be more the people that have already lost all the weight or they're lean and they're trying to heal like some pretty serious ailments, like especially skin problems. It's unbelievable. The autophagy effect is definitely like if you're trying to clean your body and dry fasting is going to be the best. It's amazing for your kidneys, like to give your kidneys a complete break, but you got to make sure when you come off that dry fast that you break that dry fast with like baking soda and water for sure. Cause you do get the acidity is not an issue during the fast but you don't want to break it with something that's not going to bring that ph up right because you could kick stones but dry fasting uh like me i've had like psoriasis on my feet and the very first dry fast i ever did um was a three-day dry fast and uh i it was gone like your skin just starts to feel like a baby's skin when you dry fast and i've actually done dry fasting routines at maintenance calorie count where I was doing 48 hour dry fast and one massive meal a day, but it was basically meat and fruit because the fruit would hydrate you really well. So I'd eat meat, like get my protein count in for like ballpark for two days. And I'd eat a pile of fruit, like a bunch of watermelon, like oranges, lots of citrus fruit. And it would hydrate me so well that I'd actually get in two good workouts not a pile of cardio like you're rowing, but two good weight training workouts. And I would do, the, do it again every 48 hours. And um, I, the, your skin gets excellent. It just cleans your body so well. Like the autophagy, that's the strongest form of fasting. You know, when t people talk about fasting, that is raw. And then the next form, the only two fasting protocols I promote is dry and salt water. I don't promote plain water fasting. Not obviously, if you're eating a meal a day and you're getting enough potassium and salt in, on your meal, you can get away with very little snake juice, if none at all, once you're eating maintenance calories. But as long as you're at a deficit, you gotta make up those salts somehow because you're not eating enough food to get the salts in. And then you'll feel great. Like, that's why a lot of these people, a lot of these hippies, I think that's why people get attracted to me because I, bring, I brought like performance into fasting. I'm like probably one of the, like, especially the prolonged fasting. There's intermittent fasting guys on the internet that are pretty high performance, but they don't, they're not, guys that promote like 48 and 72 hour fast and longer and that's why people buy into what i say because okay this kid like kid i'm fucking 37 but <laughs> you know they're like this guy's strong and he's fit and like you know it works and that's the main thing and that's why it's all these hippies promote freaking freshwater fasting which yeah you can get some health benefits on a on a grind on a long freshwater fast if you got issues like you can beat stuff for sure but it's not optimal 
why would you fast on fresh water when you can go fast on, on the salt and feel good during that fast and actually get the electrolytes and it makes no sense. Yeah. I wonder, I'm just, I mean, I would assume that like, if you're, if you're doing a, a, you know, a, a saltwater fast that, you know, you, you get enough salt water and you take a rec requisite amount and then you could drink regular water beyond that. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. yeah you can, so that's the one thing you don't have to just drink the salt all day. Right. A lot of times I have people mix up what I think they need in like the day. Like right now I'm actually coaching a full contact fighter. He's very high level and I got him cutting on a routine where, so he's at a cut. So obviously we got to make up the potassium somehow because he's just not going to get enough in from the food. And his routine it's kind of what I said before, very lean meat, some starch right in the morning, right before his workout. Then after the workout, it's pretty much just zero carb to make up the calories that he needs. And then throughout the day, I told him just take a liter of water and then he mixes it really stiff. So he, he just gets the salt concentration really stiff in the liter. And then you can drink a little bit of that and then have some fresh water on the side kind of thing. But yeah, as long as you're getting in the salt throughout the day and you're not an idiot about it and you don't like go pounding that salt water in five seconds because you'd be shitting your brains out, right? <laughs> yeah, do you normally, is that normally the routine for folks to just kind of like sip at it throughout the course of the day so they're kind of trickling it in all, all day yeah, long? Yeah, some, some, some people really like just drinking the saltier water and they'll just, you know, some people might have a two liter jug. They just mix the whole thing up and when they run out, they'll just mix up another batch. Um, like the, basically on the bottom end concentrations for the people that are fairly sedentary, which is probably the, the biggest amount of people that I help really like the people that are actually into fitness is a pretty small niche, but so I'll have them per liter of water. Actually, let's say per two liters of water, I'd have them put in one teaspoon of potassium chloride powder. That's on the, this is bottom end. That'd be about 25 mil, 2,500 milligrams of potassium in two liters. And then they would go with uh, about 2,000 milligrams of sodium. And they could either go paint salt on its own or go pink salt with some baking soda. I'd like to put the baking soda in all the time. So they might go half a teaspoon of pink salt in that two liters, which is going to be about 1,000 milligrams of sodium. And then uh, maybe two teaspoons of the baking soda, which is about another 1,000 milligrams of sodium. So that because the baking soda takes two times the baking soda, to make up the pink salt for sodium content. And that's about, that would be like a, a mixture you would run. And then if they run out of that two liters, they just mix up another two liters and just drink more. But as long as it's ballpark, if the person gets a hold of me and they're on a, a longer fast and they tell me that they're low on energy and they don't feel great, first thing I ask them, how much salt have you gotten in on the day? How much water have you gotten in on the day? I wanna know the salt volume and the water volume. And then if they still feel like shit, that's their first longer fast and they're at 96 hours or something like that, then we'll just do a refeed, right? We'll just do a refeed and then we'll just start again. Hey, Cole, let me run a hypothetical, you know, because we see this, you know, and I see this quite a bit. Let's say you've got a, you know, say a woman, 45, 50 years old, kind of menopausal. She's 40, 50 pounds overweight, you know, not got much background in, in exercise. You know, she's been on, on and off diets her whole life. How do you approach that woman to, to get her, you know, and, and always they want to get leaner. They want to lose body. Okay. Where do you start with that particular person? And, and, and mark us through the progression. Let's say, what do you do to get the 30 pounds off? And then when she wants, then she has that last five or 10 pounds that she needs to get rid of. How, how do you, how do you deal with that? What are, you know, other than diet, exercise, all the, all the modalities you might consider. So, okay, this is a good question. So one of the main things that I do that nobody does is if people want me to help them, they got to take accountability pictures and post them public. 
And that gives people the biggest slap in the face. I've had women cry when they're taking those pictures. So I make them take pictures, like stripped down, like bikini, whatever, bra and panties. I don't even give a shit. And I don't want them, and I don't even let them tuck their gut in. I actually have a big thing that says, don't tuck your fat gut in. I make them hang it out because like, you know, and so they'll take a front side back picture. They'll write a whole story for me on my snake diet motivation group. And then they'll post and then piles of people will see that. And that's how I motivate them at the start. So that's a big deal. Like face that, like that fear of judgment. Right. And then after that, they'll get back to me. And then I'll also make them tell their friends and family they're doing this. Cause those are some of the worst people in the world. And when you try to do something like this, like tell them and, t and t handle their criticism and tell them to fuck off. Okay. It's like, I'm pretty hard, harsh with this shit. And then I get them to do the first 72 hour fast. And then at that point, it's all about accountability. I get them to send me pictures every seven days and their waist and hip measurement, those two measurements and pictures. And usually some people will still fall off. Okay. But the goal is if I can have, you know, I get a lot of results still obviously. Right. But then they'll send me those pictures every seven days. Cause sometimes it's like psychologically, especially with the women, they're so messed up psychologically when it comes to like those scale that if they take the pictures, they can see the progress. Cause at times if their cortisol is up cause they can't sleep cause they're worrying so much, they'll hold water. And they'll be like, oh, the scale's not moving. Like, but they'll, their body will be shrinking because water's so heavy. So I'll just, but that's the main accountability. Pictures every seven days and we'll keep going and keep going and keep going. And I'll just, I'll teach them a fasting focused lifestyle throughout the routine. And the ones that always are getting a hold of me and asking questions, I always keep catering to them because I know they'll get the result. And in the end, my results that I have, like all the pictures I have on Instagram and everything, that's what motivates the masses. So even like what you said about how sometimes I get some pretty hardcore haters, I've had so many haters come back because they can't deny the result. And then they're like, fuck, Cole's a fucking asshole. I hate that son of a bitch. But then they, they're like, but then they try it because the results don't argue. Like it's the pictures. You've got to make people take the pictures. So even if you're coaching people online, I won't even coach people. So the other thing I coach people for free, and because I coach them for free, I can make them do whatever the fuck I want because if they don't do what I want, I ain't coaching them. And I've been doing that for three years. I charged people back in the day for about a month. And one girl I had an issue with and I realized I'm never gonna charge anybody ever again because then they got you by the balls. That is the one thing that I do, do not do that everybody does. I help people for free. And the motivation is free. And I get paid by YouTube and snake juice if they buy it. And that's it. And that's how I get the results because I help people for free and they have to do exactly what I say. And I make them do things they would never do if they were paying you for say, say they were paying you a thousand bucks for six weeks worth of help or something like that. They just, you won't be able to get them to do this shit. You won't. But because I help them for free, then I get the results. My before and afters are up there and that's why I do it because I get the most results you've ever seen out of anybody on the internet. And that's because I help people for free. And that's how, yeah. So the results drive the whole thing, right? Yeah. Let me, let me just kind of dig deep because you got them on a 72 hour fast or, or whatever, you know, you get them on, you get them on the sort of the, the extended fasting a little bit. Then how do you, you know, how do you take the same woman? What kind of food do you tell her to eat? How about exercise? Where, where do we go? You know, cause obviously the pictures are going to be the accountability part of it, but what's the actual. Okay. So, the whole, so yeah, let me finish that first question. Yeah. So basically if there's that fat woman that hasn't exercised forever, 
we'll basically try to pull 72s as long as we can. Okay, if they want to do some longer fast and I feel they got that kind of discipline, fine. But if we can do 72s with about a 500 calorie low, like low, if not no carb refeed every 72 hours, perfect. Because it's with the 72s and then I do very much encourage them to do some activity. I try to get them to scrub out that meal because technically, let's say you're even eating a meal a day and only 500 calories, right? If I can get them to do 500 calories with a cardio every day, you're technically scrubbing out that meal and it's almost like you didn't eat for 30 days. I'll actually get a better result out of somebody that scrubs out the 500 calories and eats 500 every day and scrubs it out with cardio than I would just having somebody fast for 30 days with no food. But anyway, back to the ladies. So 72s, I always go like 500 calorie feed, small amount of meat, maybe some fillers, some vegetables if they can handle that. And then carry on and carry on and carry on. And if they, if it gets hard to do the 72s, like say they get a little leaner where they're down to like that last 15 pounds that they're trying to lose, the 72s might get a little too difficult. And then I'll get them on 48s. And you won't run 48s for too long though, because by the, you might run 48s for two, three weeks. You could run them forever though, because a woman, if she's fairly sedentary, she could eat one big meal every second day and use that for maintenance. Somebody like you would have a tough time with that because you burn too many calories, right? But like I could have them on 48 till the day they die. There is some people that are doing it. But then they get lean and essentially, eventually you have to get down to where you can eat a meal a day or a 48 hour fast and that'd be the maintenance routine. And, but like you said, to get them more involved and not cheat on the diet because they're sitting at home boards doing about food is I get them in the gym because they're scared to set foot in the gym so i bust their ass like the fat girl i'm helping is 500 pounds to just walk outside in her neighborhood i get them in the gym because when they go to the gym and just move around it's gonna make them way more guilty to like cheat on the food because they put in this work and then it just creates that lifestyle that's eventually what you want right you want them to exercise everybody wants to lose weight with no fucking exercise of course like everyone wants to do that but often you can but optimally I get them training because then they're going to create that lifestyle and really take it to that next level. That's what you want. I, I want to take people right to the end, not just half ass the way there. I don't care if people lose weight. I want them to get fucking lean. I don't care if the 400 pound guy lost hundred pounds and he's still a fat 300 pound pig. I don't care. I want him to get down to where he's at his optimal health. Like I'm all about, you know, being like pain free, you know, like all these people, like people are like, oh, I lost 20 pounds. Like, but are, uh, did you lose it all? Like, are you down to where you're at a healthy fucking body weight? If they're not, you're not done. Right. So that's why I try to create a lifestyle where they get there, like get to the end and start to and get active and start to enjoy life. Don't just be stewing over being fat and not moving and getting out and doing things and jumping on a bicycle or whatever. Right. Just because, because I like to. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more. You said you won't accept clients that are vegans. Why, why do you feel so strongly about that? Okay, so even before I didn't know fuck all about veganism, I was helping some of the girls that were vegan, and every fucking time they got lean, they would start to have problems. They would start to have problems with energy, fucking low iron, okay, always the same shit. And the only reason the when they were fat, they could pull it off is because that fucking body fat was saving their ass. Okay. That's like, it's just like, obviously if I have somebody fasting for two weeks on no food, obviously vegan food's not going to hurt that person. Right. 
makes sense because they got the fat is like saves them. They got like some amino acids there and such. But once they get lean, I have nothing but issues with these vegans. Like, and they'll be bloated up all the time because now that they're lean, they got to eat way more fucking food. And especially if they're active, they got to eat like a cubic meter of fucking vegetables and fruit. Like, yeah, you know how hard that is on your fucking bowels? It's like, it just, it's ridiculous. Like fiber is one thing. I actually made a video way back called fiber is trash. And the reason I made that, it's not completely trash, but I was, it was more to dress at vegans that are eating a fucking hundred pounds of fucking vegetables and fruit every day. And with a smile on their face, their fake little smile because they feel like shit and they're bloated up and they're ravenous food addicts because they got to eat every 10 seconds because their diet is missing shit. It's simple. You know what I mean? So I'd always have problems with them and I stopped. I'm like, you're eating meat, right? I'm not coaching you. They couldn't build any fucking muscle. Okay. They could not build muscle. The vegan agenda is such bullshit. Any fucking guy on the internet that is claiming vegan and he's jacked, he's on fucking gear and he cheats. Okay. He fucking cheats. And I know a lot of vegans won't say a goddamn word. They'll be vegan for a month think they're doing the greater good of the world when their fucking vegan diet does more damage to the fucking goddamn atmosphere, the earth than anything. And they'll basically make it a while and then they'll start feeling like shit and they'll fucking eat eggs. I hear this all the time. They'll eat eggs for a few days, start feeling better again, and then they'll fucking hop on their vegan bandwagon again. So people are like, I'm vegan. I'm like, how long? Oh, fucking 24 hours. Like, fuck, shut the fuck up. Like, if you're a fucking real vegan and you're lean and you didn't cheat, you'd make it five years. Your teeth are going to be falling out of your fucking head. Like I, like you, you all of them, they're fucking liars. They're fucking liars. Right. And that drives me up the wall because it's just the most brutal way to eat. If it works so great, I do it. And I tried it. I hemorrhoids back in the day and I pounded all this fucking vegetation and shit. Cause I thought that was going to make me shit. Yeah. Made me shit, made my asshole bleed all over. Like, I was <laughs> fucked up. You know what actually finally helped heal my hemorrhoids? Fast eating red meat. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and, and I, and I kind of more or less say that, but, but, you know, anyway. Hey, what else do you find that, that people make errors with typically? I mean, just kind of typical things. things locking up for some reason. Was, was that locking up? There it is. There it's working out. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask what other sort of things are you finding that people make mistakes with typically just in general with, with regard to fitness and nutrition? Um, oh, in fitness in general? Well, are we talking about exercise or just diet? Well, both if you, if you care to comment. Well, okay. So the number one biggest thing is definitely eating frequency is terrible. Okay. We evolved to fast. Okay, we evolved to fast better part of the day. Whether you're ripped and you're, and you're doing, you know, four-hour window or six-hour window, like they've done these studies over and over with these mice. Okay, they had these mice eat 15 hours a day, and then those mice got fat as fuck and fucked up livers. They had the other mice eat even on an eight-hour window, and they were healthier. So number one is eating frequency. Obviously, number two is the basic, you know, the basic stuff. Like don't eat a bunch of processed sugar, right? Number three is going to be, Obviously, the most optimal time to eat is going to be the first half of the day. Um, this is as far as food goes. Um, protein count. People are probably good on protein count, to be honest with you. Most people probably get enough. It doesn't have to be crazy high. Um, 
And then obviously supplements are a fucking scam. I don't take any supplements. Like they're most of the supplements, the bioavailability is terrible. Like if you're going to get protein and eat more fucking meat. Uh, if we're talking about hard gainers. I don't know if you're a crowd of people, if there's young guys that are trying to build muscle. One of the biggest issues with them is just eat fucking more. Instead of going and buy your weight gainers, just learn how to eat. Like sometimes it t- I remember, you know who Brian Shaw is? Like world's strongest man, right? Mm-hmm. I remember this one YouTube. He was trying to break through a plateau. Kind of like when we we're talking about body fat uh, set point on the low end. He was trying to gain weight. <clears throat> and he said when he was trying to gain weight, he said he would eat till he fucking near puked every two hours to get through that plateau. Like that's what it takes. Like these hard gainer little guys. I see him at the gym all the time, pounding back all these weight gainers and buying a million dollars worth of supplements. Just eat fucking food. Right. <clears throat> the other thing is even with training, um, because the uh, steroid industry is so big, um, this fucking body part split hit training style of training I feel does not get even close to the results if you go to like full body, higher frequency workouts. Cause that's even back in the old days, like Steve Reeves and all these old 1950s bodybuilders, it was always full body every other day. You know, you go look at the Russians and at the, at the Bulgarians, it was always high frequency. You look at every sport, it's high frequency. And a lot of these people think they should go to the gym and do these body part splits where they destroy their biceps one t- once a week or destroy their legs once a week. That never gets the best results. Because the muscle protein synthesis only lasts for about 24 to 48 hours if you're on, not on steroids. Now, if you're on steroids, yeah, you can train like Dorian Yates did and fucking destroy a muscle group and fucking grow for five days straight. Like, so that's a big issue. Um, people obviously doing tons of cardio to try to lose weight. Cardio is great if you're fasting. But if you fucking just ate before you did your stupid steady state cardio and then you're eating after you fucking sit, <laughs> you're not going to get nothing. You're just completely wasting your fucking time. Like you might as well just fucking like, just stop eating. Like most of the fat women I see at the gym, it's like, Jesus Christ, you, all you need to do is start fasting and you don't need to be doing this. It's just, and, and, and then they're upset and that's it. Like that, it's so simple. They just, they don't understand. You don't need to eat. It's not, they're, they're scared. They think they're going to fucking die if they don't eat for 10 seconds. They teach you to eat high frequency all the time. Like that's yeah. the biggest problem, eating. eating. And I think that some of that is, some of that I think is just a kind of a tragedy with some of the marketing that we've seen historically around like sports supplementation and things like that, where, you know, you have like, uh, like a sports drink or something that you're supposed to you know, you look at the package and it says, you know, have this before, have this during every yeah. like 30 minutes and then after. And, you know, maybe if you're racing a marathon, but like if you're going yeah. out for like a three, four mile jog in the morning, you don't need to be drinking, you know, well, a couple hundred good. calories of sugar before and during and after. Yeah. The best time to go for that jog is going to be fasted in the morning when you're actually tapping into some body fat and then you won't even hit, and then you won't hit a wall and you go for a good run and then you have, you have your breakfast afterwards. That's what Mike Tyson did for years. Frick, I think custom auto had him run his balls off at basically five o'clock in the fucking morning. And then he'd come back. He would usually have a bite to eat. And then I think he'd have a nap and they'd get up and do his real training session. Like that's exactly how they did. And these guys didn't have any fucking science. Like these guys, it was just raw experience. Like custom auto coach, what? Like Joe Lewis and all these other guys. And like this raw fucking experience. Like you said, like, that's why I like you too. Like it's, it's results. I hate these fucking dummies that throw these studies at me because the studies that it's just not done yet. You know, it's just not done. There's, there's some good science, but then a lot of it is like, 
oh, they, they found out now that this is right. Like, fuck, you just got to listen to your goddamn body and people just don't. And they read into everything. Like, and then the, the, the confirmation bias is ridiculous. If people are scared of fasting, they're going to go find something that says fasting is bad. There's got to be shit out there. Some bullshit study or something that says fasting is bad because they haven't tried it. You know, even me, like, like dry fasting, fuck. What do you think? You know how many studies there is out there in dry fasting? Like none. You know how I started dry fasting? Because I have a big ego. Because I'm like, fuck it. These guys did it. I'm going to try this shit out. Because I, I had some ideas with like, you know, just roasting more body fat and playing around with some pretty hardcore stuff. And I just always try shit, you know? And that's the thing. You got to try and experiment with things or else your opinion, your opinion just doesn't mean fuck all. Because out of anybody on the internet, I experiment really hard. Like, I'm not a genius. You know, I'm not a fucking nutritionist. I don't know everything about every food, but one thing I probably trump almost everybody is that I experiment to the extreme. Even eat rotten meat. Like, you know, I just use anecdotal stories. And if I see enough anecdotal stories that got a good result, I'll fucking try it. Like, how many studies out, are there out there where eating rotten meat's good for your stomach health and your back and your gut biome? None. I got liver right now that's like seven months old sitting in the cupboard. You know, and like, like, and even drinking urine. Like when I first drank urine, that was just fucking facing like fear of like, like, you know, I, I was reading about cancer and urine came up and shit. And I'm like, well, this is the next step. Try drinking piss for a month and see what happens, you know? And urine's really good for your skin, by the way. Extremely, if you have skin problems, it's unfucking believable that ure the urea and the urine. People don't understand that all their best skincare products forever were made out of fucking horse piss. They just don't, under, people just don't dig deep into this shit. People are sheep. People are sheep. They're fucking brainwashed. And then you got to wake them up with like, you know, you got to swear at them a little bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you, I'm not quite sold on the urine yet, but I mean, I, I'm open to, to a lot of things. But let me ask you uh, just back to the, you know, because of fasting and the intermittent fasting. And a lot of people, the critics will say, well, the only reason that fasting or intermittent fasting works is because of caloric reduction. And if you were to eat, you know, say, say you, say you eat one meal a day and it's 500 calories, well, you could eat five meals a day of 100 calories. Good point. And the result would be the same. What do you, what do you <laughs> so say I that challenge particular? those people to this. I challenge them to this. Let's, let's like, let's use the same idea with what we were using with your, let's just use the steak again. Okay. So if I was maintaining body weight, let's say on 3,500 calories again, okay? So let's say I was eating seven meals a day, that'd be 500 calories a pop. And I stretched that out th through a 15 hour eating window. And I was maintaining body weight. If I took that 3,500 calories and I bucked it into a tight eating window, I will fucking cut like a son of a bitch on that. Because it's the endocrine system. People don't get how the endocrine system works. You're keeping your insulin down for like 22 hours a day. When your insulin is down, you will burn body fat. That's all it is. It's not even rocket science. It's so simple. In fact, I, I was showing, and then also when the meal timing is. Another example, if you took that meal even furthermore, and you're eating one meal a day, and you moved it into the morning versus the evening, you will burn more body fat. Same meal, same exact meal. So eating seven times a day, 3,500 calories, assuming that was my maintenance, you will lose weight eating one meal a day at night, and you'll even lose more weight if you move that one meal a day of 3,500 calories into the morning. Because there's certain times a day your body's in a different state to burn food. 
And that is it. Like, it's just the endocrine system. It's how the insulin works. You could even, even uh, like another good example, like a pizza. I actually made an old YouTube video about this. You have a pizza and it's, you cut it into six slices and you eat one piece every three hours or every, let's say, two hours. So that'd be 12 hours worth of eating. So six slices. If you took that whole pizza and you bucked that pizza and that's a 3,000 calorie pizza, like let's say that's maintenance, right? So that's going to be 500 calories for every slice. And that's six pieces. If you ate that throughout the day and that was maintenance, if you took that one pizza and ate it right for breakfast, you will fucking lose weight. And even furthermore, if you ate, let's say you're a real pig and you can eat three of those pizzas every third day. So that'd be 9,000 calories, which normally that was still your maintenance before on your high eating frequency routine. If you took three pizzas at 3,000 calories each, assuming that was my, like we're using that as a, you know, that maintenance. And I was eating that in one big sitting every third day, I will even lose more weight. I will lose weight like crazy if I was eating every third day, 9,000 calories versus breaking that 9,000 calories up into 18 little meals for three days. It's not even going to be comparable. Let me, because when you say comparable, I mean, when you say you lose way more or a lot more, how would you quantify that? I mean, would we, you know, would you say, you know, I'm going to get an advantage of 500 calories or how do you, how do you know? I mean, okay, have, you, yeah, done, that's a good have you done those experiments or yeah, are you, are you well, familiar with people have done um, those? And can you give us some numbers? Yeah, that's hard numbers to give. Okay. Let's say, let's use, I did a McDonald's experiment there about two and a half years ago just to show how healthy fasting was. And I was eating my maintenance was about 3000 calories on three double quarter pounders with cheese which is about 800 calories each. And I was making up the rest of the calories with just those cheap peanut butters. And I was basically, I maintained for the whole month. I was up maybe a half a pound and I was eating at 11 AM. Now, if I, if I was to take those three burgers and eat them in three separate eating windows on the day, I would probably would have been creeping up like, if you took all the food in one day and bucked it into one meal, it's probably going to amount to like 10%. It's probably going to be a 10%, like the same food, but you probably end up being almost like, like almost like comparative, comparatively, like it's a 10% deficit. It's a lot. As soon as you buck that food into a tight window, it is a lot. It's a large difference. And not to mention, not just that, the actual fasting itself is so healthy, right? It's the health benefits. When I got my blood test done after that McDonald's for that whole month, my C-reactive protein numbers were so low that they couldn't even pick them up. Like I had no inflammation at all. My blood sugar numbers were perfect. I was, I went in 24 hours fasted. I was obviously in ketosis. Um, I've taken some blood sugar tests and I was like, you know, the same numbers, like 4.2, 4. Point whatever. And my, also another thing that people, they want to know even about like diabetes, like type two, when it comes to reversing type 2 diabetes, when you start fasting really hard, people that understand that the blood sugar will drop and it will clear. And that doesn't mean you've reversed it yet, though, because your liver's still fucked up and fatty. When you truly know you've reversed type 2 diabetes, you can handle a massive carb load and you'll recover within like an hour. So like somebody like me that's healthy, I could go eat a bucket of ice cream, spike my blood sugar up to like 10. 
So like we're talking spike it up to like 200 and it will recover back down under five, probably in about an hour. That is health. Okay. They should have that test. Like, I don't know what the fuck these people are doing. They should have that as a fucking test at the doctor's office where they literally hit you with some sugar. And the, if you recover quick, like very quick, that is a sign of true health. If you recover from a high, from a massive blood sugar spike, you yeah, know, I mean, you're healthy and you know, you're insulin sensitive, very insulin sensitive. Yeah. I mean, they, they do an oral glucose tolerance test where they'll, they'll hit you with either 75 grams or hundred grams of sugar. Yeah. That's, a, that's the one. And that's about right. That's about, you and, probably, and you know, they'll look at it out over, over four hours and they'll see, they'll see what yeah. happens with the, with, the, with the sugar. And there's probably some people argue that there's a crap test, which actually does the same thing with insulin, but, but it's, it's rarely done. That also shows right. you, you know, what's going on there. And so it's kind of, kind of interesting to see that stuff. Um, but yeah, that, I hope that answers your question just about the difference between having the low eating frequency versus the high eating frequency. Like when I really want to, you know, it's really cool if you can eat like a pig like me, when I actually try to go on like a kind of a slow cut, I will do 48s and I'll just eat. It's awesome when you fast long and you got the discipline to fast long because I can literally just eat as much as I can get in my fucking gut on 48s and I will cut very slow. Like I, I can maintain on 48s if I eat the right food, but if I was eating very like, uh, like meat, and, meat and vegetables on 48s, as much as I could get in, I will definitely lose body fat on 48 hour fast, which is pretty cool. So you control you essentially control your intake with the fasting time if you're if you get it dialed in right yeah like i i've used the term intermittent feasting where you just load up like a like a snake or, or something and then you just you and then you don't eat again because you're not hungry you know and i think that works pretty well for a lot of people yeah even lions like you know they like big lions like i learned more from animals than out of anything like a big lion you know they'll eat as much as 100 pounds of meat after a kill right and that was kind of what set me off that we weren't supposed to eat at night either because I was like, oh, they'll eat and then they'll sleep. But that's not really what happens. They eat a massive amount of food and they'll kind of have a siesta, but they'll, they'll still, they, it's, they, they're, not, they, they're not like humans where they're on that same exact rhythm like we are. But, you know, they'll, they'll still have their bigger sleeps, but it's not the same. It's like, we're not going to eat like a huge amount of food and then sleep eight hours. That did, that's what didn't make any sense. That's how it made sense that we were, we were eating in the morning was optimal because we would have just ate. And if we did have a nap, we would have a quick nap. But even the way you're eating, when you keep it like super low carb, you got to eat a lot of carbs to get like, you know, kind of that insulin, like get drowsy. As long as you're eating like yesterday, I ate probably four cups of cooked rice with a very lean with, with white fish and a bunch of vegetables. And I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a low. Like I didn't have a, a drop in my, in my, uh, like I didn't have a, a dip in my blood sugar, you know, because usually that's what will happen. You'll spike your insulin. Then when it recovers, you'll actually have a slight low and it'll make you want to sleep. Right. But I didn't, the food was clean and that was with carbs. So people, they're always like, Oh, if you eat breakfast, it makes me tired. Well, that's the problem. Like you're eating the fucking your macros need to be adjusted. What, what time frame are we looking at? Cause you've got people that come in, you know, we've seen people that they've got decades and decades of eating garbage and they've screwed the system up. How long does it take the typical person? Say you've got this 50 year old that's been eating trash for 50 years. How long does it take them to fix themselves? Typically? That's a good question. It's fast. If they don't, if they don't screw up and they still got all their organs, if they're eating, if they're on a 72 hour fasting routine and they're sticking to it and they lose all the weight, and it's a low carb refeed, they will, once they've lost all the body fat, their, their insulin sensitivity and liver will be, 
I've seen, depends how fat they are, but I've seen guys lose like 50 pounds in like say a couple, like I've, I've had people actually lose over 50 pounds in one month, but I've had people lose like the last 50 pounds, you know, in like say three months, because obviously it gets, they got to get more discipline to cut that last bit of weight, but their, 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 their body will be working perfectly. Like you can always tell by their, their steady state blood sugar, like when they're say 12 hours fasted, because like I said, the ranges that the mainstream is telling us are such bullshit. In my opinion, from the people I've coached, your blood sugar at 12 hours fasted, well, mind you, you might be a little different because if you eat a big block of meat, you know how we talked about it being elevated a little longer. But say if it's somebody that ate like not as much meat in a, in a sitting and then they go 12 hours, so they're like back down to baseline, they should be under five. They should be under five millimoles per liter. And then when they're trying to tell you that seven's still okay, that is bullshit. That's fucking type two diabetes. Six is even bullshit. Like if you're above five, cause I remember some people were busting your ass about something way back. Cause somebody sent me something cause you had blood tests done and your blood sugar was like 120 or something. And then in my head, cause I know like, that's like one of my main things, right? One of my expertise topics. And I'm like, either he had ate a large meat meal and went and got his blood sugar tested and it hadn't went through a system and his blood sugar was slightly elevated because that's, I'm pretty sure that was the case because it's a fucking impossible. From my experience, if you're 24 hours fasted, I don't care how much meat you ate. If you went in there 24 hours fasted, a guy like you, your blood sugar is going to be down. There's no way around it. Yeah, no, I, you know, and I've looked into that. And, you know, if we look at back at some of the metabolism studies from the 20s on the Inuit who typically ate, would eat four to eight pounds of meat a day, right. they would run blood sugars about 120s. 120 and that makes typically. sense because, like we said, like we said, it's going to be slightly elevated. Like, so remember when I said I ate that five pounds of raw meat, if I would have went in and got their 12-hour fasting blood test, I would have been 120. So that's why I don't really like the 12-hour test because if you got guys eating like a big block of meat like that and then they go in, they might think they're empty, but they're actually, their blood sugar is still elevated. So like if you went in and got the test done at 24, I guarantee your blood sugar is going to be down like in the fours. It's probably for sure because you're a pretty healthy guy, right? You're doing all the exercise and shit. And then it would shut up your fucking haters because they had no clue. And then they're bad mouthing because they're bad mouthing eating straight meat because they're like, oh, he's fucking, looks like he's type two diabetic and shit. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't understand physiology. I understand that. I mean, it's a lot. Most people don't have much knowledge of that. And you know, the other thing is we see with high level athletics, a lot of times, you know, it's you, you do have a demand component of gluconeogenesis. If you need some of the glycolytic stuff, you know, your liver can, can that's crank right. that out. Yeah, that's right. Because a lot of times when you're in flight, like with your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, you know, your sympathetic nervous system, your cortisol will bump up if you need it. Like, you know, you're ready to sprint and you're, and basically your body will pull sugar right out of your liver, right? And that's exactly. If you actually, I've done some pretty good tests actually with that where I went and trained really hard and I was in deep ketosis before the workout. I was probably showing, you know, about 3.4, 3. I was probably showing two millimoles per liter on a blood test ketone meter, which is right up there. And I went to the gym and as soon as I got back and I trained hard, like squatted till my legs were just roasted, right? Got to the house about a half hour later, checked my, my blood sugar and it was up like almost at six temporarily for about 15 more minutes. And then it dropped right back down to ketosis numbers because the, because people like don't understand there's a few things, glyconeogenesis 
Um, so there's a few ways you can get sugar, essentially, right? You can get it from fatty acids. You can get it from protein. And you can get it from uh, lactic acid. So when you, that, and that makes sense, right? Because say if you had to go sprint after an animal or you're doing something when you're like in the caveman days, you would get this little sugar hit from just from the exertion, from the muscle burn. And it would give you actually a little bit of jam. And that's the three main ways we can get sugar basically from those three things. Like, well, so obviously you got gluconeogenesis from with the protein and then you got the, the free fatty acids and then you got the lactic acid and that's the three main ways we can get sugar yeah outside of of course ingesting carbohydrates but i mean anyway um good stuff cole uh zach and i know i know we got we both yeah that's right yeah sure tell us where people can get a hold of you where the people can find you uh people want to get more information about what you're doing because i think i think you know particularly that you're offering your services for free should should excite a lot of people and uh you know i think you know at the end of the day you're getting results and, and that's that's what we're all after Thanks, buddy. Yeah, so Snake Diet Wizard on Instagram. Um, hopefully, they don't got me shadow banned anymore. <laughs> so you got to type in Snake Diet Wizard. And then on Facebook, it's Snake Diet would be like my business page where it's just a pile of testimonials. And people message there as well. And then um, the Snake Diet Motivation Group, the big group on Facebook is where I make people throw up accountability pictures and stuff. So any of those avenues, you can get a hold of me. And then... Like, obviously, I do pick and choose the people I coach now because I'm so packed. But one thing I am doing now is I'm really committing to doing a one-hour Q&A every night. Because people that are, you know how you were asking, how do I keep people, like, doing these fast? Well, that's how. My constant motivation, like, keeps them going. That's all some people just need is five minutes of my time to just swear at them a little bit. Like, I got women getting a hold of me. They're like, call me a fat pig and shit. Like, <laughs> They like want me to call them a fat pig to motivate them. But yeah, so every night I'm trying to do them at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on YouTube. So that's a live chat on YouTube. And I just answer questions until basically my fucking voice is gone, right? Well, awesome. awesome. Well, Cole, we'll, we'll link those to the show notes so our listeners can click through and check them out. Um, if, if nothing else, I think it's no one's going to accuse the fasting and decreasing your energy levels because uh, you no. <laughs> shot out of a cannon. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> but th thanks, thanks again for coming on. Good chat. It was a good chat. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, folks. Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing. And due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.